Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. had that whole thing where I did that meme and I said, what's at the center of our faith? And we talked about, and we called it the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we said, that is what all of this is about. And then that, that following week, we said, well, the gospel isn't just the message. The gospel is the way that we do it. We're called to a particular kind of life. And then last week we had Worldwide Communion Sunday and we said that the gospel Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. Jesus is the hope of the world, or he isn't. Really, it's as simple as that. Jesus is either the hope of the world, or he isn't. That is our faith conviction. And so I sat and I prayed through that a little bit, and I'm like, what question am I left with after these last couple of weeks? And the question I was left with, and this is where we'll head today, is based on all of this, based on the gospel, what does that mean for the church? What does the gospel ask of us here at St. Mary's in a local church? How do we think about church? How do we think about how we behave, how we make decisions, what we prioritize, kind of what we we do? How does the gospel inform that? And that's kind of where I'm headed. So Lord have mercy, I pray that we at least arrive somewhere close to that. One of the other things as a pastor is that people ask me all the time, they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Actually, it's more like, oh, you're a pastor. Um, <laughs> what kind of church are you in? I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a question. And I'm like, United Church of Christ. And they're like, oh, they either know about the United Church of Christ or they don't. And I think you know where I'm headed with this. Like, they either know or they don't. And oftentimes they're like, well, is the UCC, is that like Lutheran? Yes and no. If, we, if it was just like Lutheran, we'd be Lutheran. I mean, no, it's different. And so my answer is always, well, the United Church of Christ, there are two things in that. We are a united church. We are defined more by what we are for than by what we are against. It is a church that invites, uh, if you are for things, you are invited to be a part of this. We are a united church. But then, I'm like, but we have a direction, and we are a united church of Christ. Christ, and that is my answer to all of this. In our name and in my heart, I want to be, I don't, I don't care about the rest of it. I just want to be a church that is in love with Jesus, that is obsessed with Jesus, that is just constantly thinking like, Jesus is a big deal around here. How do we do Jesus in the midst of all this stuff that we do? Which means that how we read the Bible and how we understand Jesus, we want to put Jesus at the story of, at the middle, and Jesus and his story at the middle of everything we do. And so the Bible, the Old Testament, leads us up to Jesus. It tells us the story about why anybody was talking about God at all. And what were those thoughts? And what were they looking for? The gospel, and the Old Testament sort of asks the, answers the question, like, what's the problem? The gospels are, of course, the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is, what's the solution to humanity's problem? And then on the other side of the gospels, we get the epistles and the letters And that is the meaning of Jesus. What does Jesus mean for us? And for us, St. Mary's, Jesus came to do certain things. Jesus had an agenda. And so if we're following Jesus, our goal then as a church is to align our agenda with Christ. 
So what was Jesus all about? Well, yes, he died and resurrected, and our answer to that might be, well, you know, I hope to go to heaven one day. But what was Jesus' death and resurrection to accomplish? And so we find ourselves with a wonderful guide, the Apostle Paul today in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to be working from a good chunk of Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't want to read the whole thing uh, in in our readings, but we'll be working a little bit from it. But Ephesians chapter 2 says this. His purpose, meaning Christ. What is it? Paul's answering the question. Why did Jesus die and resurrect? His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. One new humanity. And the church thought about this. The church trying to figure out, well, what does Paul mean by that? And we get another answer to that. We get an answer on what does Paul mean from a man, this wonderful name, this wonderful, mysterious theologian named Maximus the Confessor. Born in 580, died in 622, lived in Constantinople. And I'm sorry for the earworm. Those of you who are going Istanbul, Constantinople, I get it. Same thing. But his story is fascinating. He was in politics, and he left it for monastic life. This seems like a good, a good move for a lot of us. But he became embroiled in discussions regarding Christ's will. He was thinking deeply about what Christ came to do. And he wrote a book about the cosmic mystery of Christ. And in the middle of all this, he writes, In Christ, a whole new way of being human has appeared. And then in that way, he calls to us. What we do as church is not just, if you're good, you go to heaven, you're bad to go to hell. And none of that requires Jesus, by the way. If that's our theological lens, we don't need Jesus for any of that. No, in Jesus, Jesus dies and resurrects to show us a new way of being human. Jesus doesn't come just to put patchwork us back together, a duct tape and binder twine operation to hold us together while we try to make it through this life. No, in Christ, there's an entirely new way of being human. And that is good news. That is gospel for those of us who are so tired of the old ways of being human. And we talked about the Bible says, what's the problem, what's the solution, and what does it mean? Well, Paul wants to answer all these questions for us as he introduces this idea of a new way of being human. And Ephesians 2 sets forth the problem. The church, needs, the church only exists if it has a problem it seeks to address. And when we talk about humanity, we have to acknowledge there is a problem, right? Like, think about this. Like, animal, we don't talk about there being problems in other species, right? Like, I live my life with pigs and with sheep and an occasional hamster and a lizard. And at no point do I walk up and go, you know what? Bearded dragons are just a mess right now. Like, they just can't seem to get their act together. I've said that about certain pigs, but I've never said that about swine in general. Nobody's saying, you know what, the swine population is just, boy, they've got some, they've, they've got some issues. But we do say it about humans. And I don't need to tell you that humanity's got some issues, right? Our species is a mess. Why? Because Paul says this. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the course of the world. You were dead in your trespasses and sins following the course of this world. You were dead and you're just flowing down the river like any dead fish. But it begs a question, what does it mean to be human? So that we might say, what does it mean to be dead? What does it mean to be human? We are the creature, we are the species that were created to fully bear the image of God. 
In the, let us make humanity in our image. That's what you were designed to do, to bear fully the image of God. We are a demonstration to the entire created order of what God is like. But when we sin, when sin was introduced and when we sin, we get on a wrong trajectory. We get aimed at things that aren't that goal. We go sideways. We miss the mark, which is what the word sin means. Sin means not like you did a bad thing. Sin means you missed the mark. And we end up, as we sin, and as we establish patterns of sin, and slowly and surely we sort of end up on wrong paths, we go in wrong directions, we start to understand that we end up sort of out of bounds. We end up in a place where we no longer bear the image of God. And when we can't bear the image of God, humanity can't flourish. And we find ourselves in a realm of death. And you're like, what is death? Well, it's not just when life goes out of us. The Bible understands death is a place where we don't bear the image of God. Any place that is contrary to God's commands. And what you're like, well, what are God's commands? You're like, well, is it at least 10? No, I'm going to boil you down to two. There are two. Love God and love your neighbor. That's what Jesus said. And when we step out of that realm of bearing the image of God, loving God and loving neighbor, sin erodes us individually and collectively. And you see this, right? I don't need to argue this for you. You've watched sin kind of break you down and you've watched sin break the world down. And when we fail to bear the image of God, we experience spiritual death. Now, to be fair, before you're like, geez, that feels judgmental. No, we're born into it. It's like learning a language, right? Like none of you had to be told to learn to speak English unless your English is a second language, in which case I'd love to talk to you about that experience. But I think all of us are generally English speakers and we're like, one day you just kind of woke up and you're like, shoot, I can speak a language. I didn't, I didn't know I could do that. Well, it's the same way with sin. We wake up and we're like, oh, I'm a sinner. I didn't know that was me. But yeah, that, that rings true. And if we live for self... If we only live for ourselves, if we are driven by selfish desire, we will always miss the mark. And we are exiled from the life of God, and we miss our purpose and our identity on this planet. We become less human. And left to our sin, sin begets sin, and we cannot recover our full humanity by ourselves. Sin keeps us from bearing the image of God. But God. That's what Paul wrote. He said, but God, Paul's got a solution for this. He says, God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. But God. What Paul says is that if you see God as the righteous, angry judge, you misunderstand God. He said, our sin did not beget God's wrath. Our sin begets God's love. And how do we know that love? God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And why did Jesus come and walk amongst us and ultimately to die? Why did Jesus do that? Because that's where we were. God wanted to, God came near to us. When every other faith system in the world invites us to go to God, ours says God came down to us all the way to death, into our spiritual death. And he joined us there. And Jesus died to come get us. That's the gospel. That Jesus comes to get us. He enters our suffering all the way to death. And he's resurrected to bring us back to who we were made to be. 
That's the gospel. The gospel is simply Jesus says, I got you. Yes, we go off course, but Jesus says, I'm rescuing you. I'm bringing you back. And Jesus was raised from the dead for our sake, fighting off all that wars for our soul, all the sin, death, and devil, fighting it all off because breaking its power that we might be raised with him to bear the image of God, to be fully human again. And in this way, we can read this psalm for today. If it had not been the Lord on our side, then our enemies, not people groups, not our enemies that we're warring against. Our enemies, sin, death, and the devil would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have swept over us, but the Lord didn't give us his prey to their teeth. The Lord didn't leave us in the jaws of sin, death, and the devil. Rather, he entered those jaws and pulled us out. Thanks be to God. So when Jesus does that, he says, I am making it possible for you to bear the image of God again. And so now what? Paul says this, and it's verse 10, we didn't read it, but boy, I want, you to, I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul says. He says, in light of all this, in light of that Jesus story, he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The will of God is a way of life. When we talk about the will of God, so often we tend to think of it, think of the will of God in very specific decisions. God, do you want me to do this or do you want me to do that? Should I go here or should I go there? All right, should I do this or should I do that? And we pray in that way, right? We're like, God, show us your will. But what Paul suggests is like, those decisions are important, but the will of God is more a way of life. The will of God is a certain way of being human. And, so, and the beauty of this is that regardless of what decisions we make, you know, whether you're this kind of person or that kind of person, you have this kind of personality or that kind of personality, you're rich, you're poor, you're from this neighborhood or that neighborhood, God can use it all to create a way of life in you that bears the image of God. We are God's workmanship. We are God's, and one might translate it as, masterpiece. And we are being restored to the beauty of our original purpose. You, as you sit here right now, what God intended you to be, God is still making you into that. It, and this is beautiful, it's compelling, it draw, it's life-giving for the world. In fact, maybe another image would be helpful for you. What is workmanship? The word that Paul uses for workmanship, the Greek word is poema. Poema. And you're like, wait a second, that sounds familiar. We do get an English word from this Greek word, poema, and it is, of course, poem. God is a poet, and you are God's poem. And God is taking the words and the circumstances and the and the, your story, your skills, and your talents, and God is creating this beautiful poem that is you. There are many different paths, ways of being, callings, but all of them aim towards this beautiful masterpiece, which we call holiness, the image of God. Now, of course, we can ignore it. God works through love, not through coercion, so he's not going to force us. But if we cooperate, we hasten our journey to becoming fully human. 
And that is what Christianity is all about, cooperating with Christ to participate in a new humanity. And so consider all of this from Paul's perspective. Paul has talked about these large, big theological ideas. God is setting it all right. But he's also writing to a local church. The church at Ephesus is just like this one. Kind of, a, kind of in the middle of you know, a strange stretch of where we've got a lot of rural and a lot of urban kind of sitting right next to one another. You know, we've got half of you live on this side of the state line, half of you live on that side of the state line. I don't know why God sees fit that every time I serve a church, I gotta deal with like four different school districts. Like this is this weird spot that we find ourselves in. And Ephesus was just the same. And so Paul is writing to a local church, encouraging them, trying to focus them on what on this new idea of being human together. And so Paul's concern as he writes this letter and others is not moralism. He's not saying here are the things we do and here are the things we don't know. Paul is trying to faithfully, he's trying to get them to faithfully represent a new humanity. Here and now, where they are. Cosmic realities lived in these pews and in these homes and on these streets with these people. Eternal mysteries played out in Ephesus and played out in Silver Run. The local church is the, is the place where this new humanity is proclaimed, taught, and lived out. That's what we do. That's all we do. It's the place where this new humanity, this way of life, this workmanship that we are all becoming is proclaimed, taught, and lived out. So yes, he does say there are some things that have to be left behind. One of the interesting things about that particular community is their concern at the time was that they had two main groups of people. They had Jewish people who were coming from a religious background, and then they had Greek people who were coming from a more pagan background, and they're trying to figure out how the two of them can figure this out together. And to those pagans, to those who were not familiar with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like you go back and read, and Paul actually had to say, some of the things that you think are normal, you can't do anymore. And so this is where we get some of these passages. Privilege, your privilege has got to go. That is not the way of the new humanity. There are other things. Promiscuity, he talks about that. Drunkenness, arrogance, violence. He says, if you're coming in, you got to let all that go because that's not the new humanity. That's not what we're doing here. But we don't leave the old ways behind so that we can be saved. No, the local church says that's not who we are. And that's not us anymore. God is calling us to something else. So he says, you've already been saved. And if we continue in those old ways, we'll keep missing the mark and we'll never become what God is doing in the world. So yes, there are things we're like, yeah, that's not us no more. But he says right alongside of it, but here's what we actually are. We have a calling to faithfully embody the new humanity, a life characterized by Christ-like love as a way of life. So how do we do that? What Jesus says, the whole law comes down to two things, love of God and love of neighbor. And what the Bible, those, the words that the Bible uses to describe those things are worship and justice. What is the work of the local church? Worship and justice. I'll do this quick. Worshipers, not just thinking about God, not just acting like we care about God. No, we actually worship we can talk about God and never worship God. We can, <clears throat> we can believe in God and never worship God. We can think about God and never actually worship God. 
No, what the church does is said, we, we are actually going to stop and we are going to worship. And yes, our whole life can be worship, but it never will really rise to the intentional moments that we stop and we worship together. So what does it mean to worship well? That's a great question for the church. How do we worship in a way that isn't shaped by personal preferences or cultural, um, cultural norms, but based on what will move us further towards a new way of being human? And then we do justice. We cultivate an approach to life that sees this new humanity in another person, even if they cannot see it themselves. We are able to see God's image in other people when they can't see the image of God in themselves. And therefore, we do what we can with God's grace to ensure that every other person is treated as we would want to be treated. This is what Jesus said. Do unto others as, they would ha- as you would have them do unto you. We act in love towards others. And we renounce the lie of the world that there is an us and there is a them. There is no us and them. There is only us. There is only a new humanity. And we love each as if they were apart. And since there is a place we are going, a place of worship and justice, a place of new humanity, that we say this is what we are and therefore this is what we are not, then the church does certain work. We do theology. We do formation. We consider what it looks like to be a new humanity in this place. And what that can look like and how we get there, well, that's another sermon. I've done enough for today. But the church, which is just another word for this new humanity, is not called primarily to programs or budgets or outreach or moralism or culture wars or political power or all the things that get mistaken for church these days. We're not trying to change anyone. We're not trying to fix anyone. We're simply trying to worship God and love our neighbor. If change happens in another, it'll be Christ who does that change. We still need to be changed. We can focus on us. Christ will take care of everybody else. We're just trying to worship well and trying to love well. And God is working his poem in you, his beautiful creation in you and in us to reflect the image of God which you were always intended to bear, which you have from the day you were born, you've been destined to carry. And he's calling us as a church, as a place where we live out this new humanity as a way of life to worship well and to do justice well. And so to bring this home, I want to read the end of Ephesians chapter 2 to you. But I want to read it out of the message. Some of you may be familiar with this. It's a translation from Eugene Peterson. Um, but the way Eugene translates this takes all of these ideas and puts them into, into a package that, that drives us forward and captures what Paul wants for us. I want to end the sermon with this. He's writing about new humanity. He says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. None of you. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. And we see it taking shape day by day. And I'll add parenthetically, it's been taking shape day by day for over 260 years here. What's taking shape? A holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, in which God is quite at home. 
Friends, we as humans, we've tried building temples to God forever, but God is building us into a temple. He's building us into the place where he dwells with a way of life, masterpieces of God's compassion, reflecting God's image, and an entirely new way of being human. Amen.